Jane is an all-in-one practice management software that can help you manage your practice with a suite of features that make it easy to meet with individuals, couples, families, and more. Here on Am I a Bad Therapist, we know that two of the most important things to us as therapists are confidentiality and our time. Thankfully, Jane understands that reliability and security are very important parts of running a private practice. Jane's cloud-based software is accessible wherever you have Wi-Fi, and their team is always ready to lend a helping hand. Jane is HIPAA and PEPITA compliant, and your data is stored safely in the country you practice in. So no matter where or how you practice, Jane's always with you in the most secure and helpful way possible. Not only does Jane help us protect our clients, but they help us protect our time too with features like calendar syncing, note templates, online booking, and they have automated reminders and workflows. Which you know we love on Am I a Bad Therapist? And you can learn more at jane.app slash mental health. You can also mention the code bad therapist for a one month grace period on your new Jane account. Have you ever asked yourself, am I a bad therapist? Well, you're in the right place. I'm Allie Joy, licensed professional counselor and board certified art therapist. And I'm Katherine Escare, a clinical psychologist, and this is Am I a Bad Therapist? Join us each week for stories from behind the closed therapy door. You'll hear experiences that made us ask, am I a bad therapist? Including bloopers, jaw droppers, and other difficult moments that normalize the unique struggles of modern day therapists. This is a space with no experts, no gurus, and no hierarchies, just humans sitting in similar chairs. While we're certainly not promoting actual bad therapy, we are here to shine a light on the messy situations that therapists face on a daily basis and to normalize that mysterious gray area of clinical practice that no one wants to talk about. We're going to hear from Justin today, who had to switch careers and found himself in a new position in way over his head. And I don't know about you, Allie, but I can absolutely relate to that feeling. Uh, Yes, I completely agree. And Justin's situation sounds very niche and interesting. You'll have to stay tuned because it's fascinating. But I was sitting here during the recording just feeling so related to every single thing that he said. So even though it seems very niche and nuanced, it was incredibly relatable. And I think all of our listeners could relate to this as well. Especially trainees. I feel like this really relates to being thrown into environments where we feel so in and over our head and don't know where to go. And we're going to hear from Justin on how he navigated that. So don't forget that we are not endorsing actual bad therapy. We are encouraging you to look inside and identify where you are a bad therapist and where you can improve. So just remember that this podcast is not a substitution for clinical consultation, ethical guidance, or therapy itself. All right, this is episode number 67 of Am I a Bad Therapist? Let's get into it. Hi, Justin. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, uh, Catherine Eldie. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, before we get into your bad therapist story, why don't you share a little bit about yourself with us? Tell us about yourself. Sure. So uh, my name is Justin Bertrand. I currently work as an educational counselor in the province of Quebec, Canada. Educational counselor is also what most people call a school counselor, kind of two names for the same thing, just in case anyone gets confused. I figured I'd mention that. And my, but my original clinical work was as a, as a clergyman, as a Roman Catholic priest. 
I had been working in sort of pastoral counseling and chaplaincy work. I did a lot of work with firefighters experiencing trauma and sort of the typically the initial crisis kind of work and then referring out to social workers or local resources as needed. I also did a lot of work in pastoral counseling with specifically grief counseling. Uh, being a priest, you tend to be at a lot of people's bedsides while they're dying and with family and loved ones. So that was sort of my initial kind of more niche training and just generic kind of crisis counseling as well. So I do have that background and I kind of did more as much study as I could as a priest in pastoral counseling. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the sort of kind of being able to change one life at a time uh, in sort of small ways. So that's sort of a bit about myself. And yeah, I'm excited to be on this podcast with you guys. I mean, your story already sounds so fascinating. I feel like you should just have your own podcast about your life, but (laughs) we could go into that forever. But why don't you tell us what story are you going to share with us that made you question if you were a bad therapist? Yeah, so I'm going to share, stare, oh boy, here's my dyslexia acting up. I'm going to share my initial story of just that initial transition from Catholic priest to school counselor and sort of that kind of moment of just realizing like, okay, yeah, uh, this is different. So a bit of context. Uh, First things first, the reason I I left the priest, I'm going to be very brief about that, but long story short, it is kind of important, I find, Mm -hmm. uh, because I didn't just leave the priesthood because I was bored and didn't love my job and didn't love working with the people I worked. But I ended up experiencing sexual harassment with people in the clergy, with sort of superiors and stuff like that. And I just didn't feel safe anymore. So I chose to resign about two years ago and leave the priesthood, which basically means that as a clergyman, as a priest, especially in Quebec, Canada, you're technically licensed to do spiritual based counseling and confessions and sort of the basic kind of crisis work, which now that I'm no longer a priest, I'm not licensed anymore, technically, right? So there's that initial moment like, oh, what I do now? I'm like, do I work at a Tim Hortons or Starbucks or something? Like, like, where do I go, (laughs) right? So fortunately for me, about literally 72 hours after I left the priesthood, the local school principal of the sort of area where I grew up, which is a very rural community in kind of like Ottawa Valley, Quebec, basically called me and was like, um, I heard you left the priesthood. I kind of want you as a school counselor. Wow. That's exactly how things work in my hometown too. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, so that's exactly what happened. It's like the, the principal literally called me. It's like, yeah, we need a school counselor. And I think you'd be the best person for the job because so in Quebec, uh, another kind of side note here is in Quebec, you don't need to be licensed to be a school counselor. Interesting. Because you're just offering counseling interventions. You're in Quebec, only psychotherapy is regulated. Yes. And like diagnosing mental mm-hmm. illnesses mm-hmm. and sort of the work of a psychologist. Mm-hmm. So to do ordinary counseling or basic crisis interventions, you don't need to be licensed. Mm-hmm. Um, so my school principal was like, well, we have a posting open for a guidance counselor, but guidance counselors in Quebec, they offer psychotherapy. So they need to be licensed and certified and everything. So she says, I can't give you that job, but I'll create a posting for you as a school counselor. And because we still need someone to offer counseling for our students for mental health needs, career development, all of that. So that was sort of the initial backstory. So I took the job, took a couple I, weeks. Can I jump in? What was your reaction? Yeah. So here you are, you left the priesthood, you left the clergy. You're like, well, shit, there goes my license too. And the principal <laughs> says, hey, rumor around town is you're unemployed. You'd be great at school counseling. What was your reaction? 
Uh, my initial act- reaction was, well, that was fast. <laughs> uh, just like, okay, like, like obviously I knew I wanted to eventually work into a career in counseling, but I figured I was like, okay, I'm going to go back to school, you know, become a psychotherapist or something, get registered and then start working. So I was like, okay, there's probably going to be another four years of school involved in my life. Not that the nine years of university to become a priest was enough, but that's a whole other thing. Um, so just, yeah, so just like, oh, that was fast. But then my initial kind of call was like, well, what's the job entail? And then I sort of had a meeting with the principal. and like, oh, we just need you to listen to kids and, you know, refer out to social workers and make sure they end up in college and, you know, just sort of basically was like, okay, well, that's a little different than what I'm used to doing, but I'll be okay, right? Like, you know, I have yeah. eight plus years of pastoral counseling experience and spiritual direction and crisis intervention. I was like, yeah, this is, you know, I'll be learning stuff, but I should be okay. So I, I went in kind of with that initial, like, Definitely nervous, definitely kind of kind of walking on eggshells, but also this kind of initial confidence of like, I should be okay. Like, mm-hmm. I should be fine. Mm-hmm. Well, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> so about two weeks in, I started having this kind of gut feeling of like, oh, something's off. And I'm a very sort of intuitive type personality and I'm very much a sort of a lead by my gut as for my initial kind of reflection type of thing. But I just started feeling like, whew, this is, I was feeling the difference. I was feeling the transition. But at first I was just like, oh, well, this is normal. You know, like I just made this huge life transition for these very serious reasons. I, you know, so I just kind of focused on self-care and just basic counseling and basic stuff. But the feeling didn't go away and kind of got worse. And there's just a bunch of small things in school counseling. I was just noticing the differences just between what I was used to working. For example, in pastoral counseling, my caseload is fairly small, like maybe 20 clients together. And then going up to 50 to 90 students Mm -hmm. between career counseling and sort of mental health or social emotional counseling, that sort of thing. So I just, there's a lot of differences there where I just kind of like, Oh, well, yeah, this is normal. I feel awkward. It's just, just I just kind need of to get used to it. It's probably exactly. what you're thinking, right? Yeah, this I is just... a learning curve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like this is normal. This will be fine. And then sort of fast forward to about a couple months after, and I just finished. I think I just finished this for like a seven or eight student client day because obviously my sessions as a counselor at the school are more like half an hour sessions, forty minute sessions, not necessarily the long sessions you'd have in private practice. And I just remember being in my office and just realizing it's like, okay, this is, this is more than I thought it was going to be. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to calm down. I'm going to make an action plan. I'm going to you know, do some personal CPR. I'm going to consult. I'm going to do some personal information and researching and learning. And I'm going to refer out when I need to. So I started doing that. I started researching, reading, you know, it's like expanding a few things. And it was helping. But then I still felt this kind of ball inside me where just like, eh, something's off. It's not right. I don't get it. What's going on? So this would have been just before Christmas, around December or so. And again, sitting in my office reflecting, trying to face this whatever ball hole intuition feeling thing is inside me. And it just clicked. It's just like, oh, I wasn't trained for this. I'm not really qualified to be handling like generic school mental health problems of teenagers. I, 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 I wasn't trained for this. You weren't trained at all to work in schools, actually. 
Exactly. Yeah. It's just like. And it took you how long to realize that? So I started. So it took me about a month and a half. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. Because I ended up starting in the end of November and it was sort of January, December, January by the time I, that kind of just hit me. Just like, oh, no. So here you are. You are a month and a half in. You realize, oh, wait, it's not just me feeling awkward because it's a new job. It's a new environment. No, no, no. This gut feeling that won't go away, like this punch in the stomach, is actually my intuition telling me I have no clue what I'm doing because I wasn't educated in this. Exactly. It's like literally the thought after that kind of, he was like, I am completely outside of my scope of practice that I'm used to. Mm -hmm. I was not trained to handle the breadth of knowledge, the breadth of knowledge and issues that I face in school counseling. Like pastoral counseling and spiritual is a pretty niche thing. Um, it is. I, I was, I was not trained, you know, like just as a basic example, in pastoral counseling, when I work with someone who's experiencing maybe feelings of anxiety or that sort of thing, it's like, oh, well, I've got this little exercise with some nice Bible quotes that we can journal together and maybe help you come to some awareness. And if that helps, great. If not, well, then we'll refer you to a social worker. You know? It's like, oh, but that doesn't work in a public school setting with kids that are potentially atheists. Yeah, just, just don't work. <laughs> I, I, did you try that with them? <laughs> I almost did. Okay. Uh, I, I remember having, I was in session with, with one client and like the initial does like, oh, I know what to do it. Oh, wait, I don't. <laughs> Let's pause here for an ad break. By the way, the number one support for those of us asking ourselves, am I a bad therapist? Are clinical consultation groups. If you don't have one yet, join us on the Teletherapist Network for unlimited peer consultation groups, including a lot of different specialty groups like clinicians of color, LGBTQ+, couples counseling, EMDR. And of course, Creativity in the Clinical Room hosted by me, Allie. Plus masterclasses, media leads, and everything else you need for an ethical, modern clinical practice. Join us at teletherapistnetwork.com. Hey listeners, it's Catherine here. And I'm coming to you today because Allie's not the best at bragging on herself. And I want to remind you all that she has an incredible resource available for free at our website, cccs.care. Allie's Creative Intervention Library is full of easy interventions that even non-art therapist clinicians like me can use with clients of all ages. Every intervention has a list of materials, an entire process video where you watch Allie doing it, and a written description and steps so you can follow along at home. Plus, she even has a list of diagnoses that might find this creative intervention helpful. So if you want to access a totally free library of interventions for when you feel stuck with clients, check out Allie's website, cccs.care, and sign up for free today. And now let's circle back to the show. I think this is so relatable, Justin, because even if you didn't come from pastoral counseling into uh, a school counselor, there are so many situations that we as trainees and even new professionals or tenured professionals, we find ourselves in where we're like, oh, shit, 
how did I end up here? Like, I don't have this training. I don't have this knowledge when we're already in it. So like, even though this is a very specific situation for you, I can relate so much to that feeling, maybe not to the breadth of a whole career change, but to that feeling of, oh, whoa, whoa, I'm in over my head. I need more support here. Exactly. So what happened next? You have this big realization, big realization. You're starting to make an action plan. What are the next steps? What happens? So my, so this is where I should probably mention I'm still kind of working on the action plan. I'm still working my way out of it. But long story short, I remember in that moment of like initial panic. And so I remember what one of my passion counseling professors in grad school taught me is like, when you don't know what to do, CPR, consult, personal research, or refer out. Just kind of like just basic CPR. And the acronym stuck for some reason. I don't know why. You know, it's acronym a good acronym. I'm going to borrow that. It's a good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go. It's a really good one. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, well, what are my blind spots as far as like basic counseling where, you know, I know that I can't do necessarily certain work with certain individuals to a certain point, but I'm like, I should at least be able to handle a first to three sessions on your basic stuff, anxiety, depression, the, the normal teenager stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, well, first things first, I can get training for that. I, you know, I can work on that. So I did a lot of personal research, personal training, and that helped. I also did a, I actually started training in a compassion-focused therapy, which has been really, really, really helpful for me. And motivational interviewing, kind of mixing the two mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. kind of expanding on my skills because the model we were taught for pastoral counseling is much more directive and like, oh, I'm going to listen to your problem. Okay, here's some homework and some journal exercises. Go home, do that, come back. It doesn't work with teenagers Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or rarely works with teenagers in my literal experience at this point. So just learning other modalities that are compatible with just the way I was trained with a sort of a psycho-spiritual model and sort of a holistic understanding of, of counseling, but still just more effective than what I was taught. The next thing I did, I also sought uh, supervision. So fortunately, luckily in my school in my first year, there was also a guidance counselor who was certified, trained the whole nine yards. And they were willing to take me under supervision for the career counseling side of things because I had never been taught career counseling. Like that is not something we cover in pastoral counseling training. It's just, it's just not there. So that definitely helped a lot to where I was able to, she gave me kind of a six client caseload type of thing, six to eight client caseload, and it just worked through those and kind of checked in with her every week and just like your typical supervision. So that helped a lot as well, just sort of build up my confidence. But I think the most important thing I did was going back to therapy myself. Because once I had left the priesthood, I had a therapist who was like being paid by the diocese and everything like that, which was helpful. But I kind of temporarily stopped that for about a month and a half, two months. And I'm like, okay, no, I need to get back into therapy. So I switched to another therapist who was closer to where I live currently uh, and did some EMDR and also just kind of just dumped. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm doing a terrible job. <laughs> and just to, just being honest with like my imposter kind of phenomenon or syndrome feelings, like I, I felt like, I am a fake. I'm a complete lie. I have no squat what I'm doing. I am hurting kids. I, I should not ethically be here right now. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's where fortunately my therapy in personal therapy was able to realize like, okay, calm down, Justin. First things first, 
you do have the basic skills and basic ethics like you, you know uh, it's just a matter of taking the time to transpose them from your previous context into your current context and allowing yourself to accept that that's going to be different but you you have the tools you have the basic skills to to be okay um, and my, my therapist was like really direct about that it was like actually justin based on what we're talking about like, i'm paraphrasing obviously but it's like yeah no you're you're fine just just calm down <laughs> so i definitely needed that that validation for sure uh, that mm -hmm. helped and then also i just started networking with local social workers psychologists psychotherapists uh sex therapists as well because i do sexuality comes up a lot in high school stuff and just like hey is it okay if i send you a random email when i'm like i've got this particular case i have no clue what i'm doing and like just even just three lines like get them to read this don't do this and you're fine like i'll be okay just just, just something um so i basically just started trying to like build up from scratch and just but the main thing i had to do was accept the fact that okay yes i'm not fully qualified to do the job I'm doing. And that's okay given the circumstances that I'm actually working towards getting the qualifications and certifications I need. And that I'm not afraid to refer out the second I'm past that sort of initial comfort zone. And that was kind of the, the main realization for me in therapy is just like, okay, yeah, I'm a bad therapist. And in this scenario, we can, we can work with that. Yes. Oh my goodness. I have to just echo back to what Catherine says. Like this again, it's like a very niche situation in the sense of like, you know, where you were and where you went to, but I relate to it so heavily. Mm -hmm. Like even mm -hmm. in grad school, I was working in a school setting in my internship. And then I went into my first job in community mental health. And every single thing that you just said, literally to a T, I thought a hundred percent. And it's just so interesting of like, it really does translate. And your situation, again, very unique, so fascinating, but it also can be so common in this field of like, what am I doing? I'm a bad therapist. Do, I don't know what to do. Am I qualified? Do I have the training? All of these things. Here are all the resources and interventions and things I used to do. Like I used to run groups all the time and did these amazing involved art projects and all this. And then I get into community mental health where I'm sitting on the floor, like a dirty floor, kids are running around me and I don't know what to do. And you feel like, so out of your league so i just like i can't help but echo like yes <laughs> exactly and i i don't know if this is similar in your experience but for me the one thought too that came up is like that sure you could largely call imposter syndrome but it was the specific automatic thought of like oh i'm one of those foamy unqualified professionals that pretends to be a therapist yes yes and i'm like no, I don't want that. But no, 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 not me. <laughs> I think the scary part is if you don't let yourself go to that fear, you'll never recognize that you have a deficit that you need to fill up. And so we do need to be reflecting on, are we bad therapists? Where could we be better? Like this thought of I'm a bad therapist, it's not a bad thing. We all have bad therapist moments. And that if you don't acknowledge them, that's where the danger comes. And I love that you're able to say like, well, shit, yeah, I'm questioning this and I don't want that. So I'm going to make an action plan. That is so powerful. And I'm totally borrowing CPR because I love that. I think we should put that in the show notes. Oh, we absolutely are. And there I'm also borrowing. I have not heard it phrased in that way. And like you said, something about it just clicks. So we are absolutely borrowing that. <laughs> are you a bad That's therapist? So you should consider CPR. <laughs>
what is it? It's clinical resources, consultation, and... So it's uh, consult, personal learning, and refer. Oh, I mixed that up all. Okay, yeah. It's totally fine. Love it. The sentiment. New acronym. Yeah. Takes time to learn. Yes. Okay. So you had all these realizations. Like you said, it sounds like you're still in it. You know, you're still expanding your knowledge. You're doing all of these things. You're in therapy. Where are you in the journey now? Like, do you feel like I feel like, like Catherine was saying, like sometimes having those moments of the realization and acceptance of like, yeah, I need mm-hmm. more training. I need to focus on this. I need to look at this. That can be a scary feeling, but a good feeling at the same time. Where so where do you stand now? Like, yeah. what are you have left? How are you feeling? Like, you still feel like a bad therapist? I still feel like a bad therapist sometimes. I don't know if that ever goes away, but w- what's happening now? Oh, I definitely still feel like a bad therapist. Uh- on a regular basis, but uh, where I'm at now is, so I'm definitely a lot more confident in the job that I have now as, as a school counselor, now that I've kind of been through the, the fire and brimstone, as it were, for, for two years. And I'm currently in a graduate program as well, so I am working towards certification. Uh, and my mm-hmm. principal has been like really awesome. It's like, yeah, no, like you can do it part time and like outside of school hours and it's totally fine. Like, so, so I'm, it's going to be a longer process. It is going to take me maybe three or four years by the time I get certified and everything. But the advantage is, is I'm also going to get to learn directly with as I'm working as a counselor as mm-hmm. well. So mm-hmm. that experience I'm hoping is going to be very like, not that I'll learn more than if I'm like, you know, when I was in grad school before and like kind of in my early 20s and like, oh, I wonder what this will play out like in real life. Yes. Yeah, at least now, it'll, at least now it'll be like, oh, I know exactly how this exactly. goes. It's a different type of motivation to learn, right? Because you know exactly mm-hmm. how it's going to be applied. Exactly. <laughs> or you could go apply it tomorrow. <laughs> exactly. So I'm definitely excited that I start. Uh, I'm in my first year there now. So that's the other. That's sort of the major thing where I'm at. Is like, OK, I'm like. I've definitely done a lot of personal research. I'm still in therapy. I'm still under supervision. I still have this network of counselors and therapists and also the local psychologist from the public health unit. She's amazing. Shout out to Nancy, by the way. She's, I send her an email or a phone call and she's like, oh yeah, just do this, 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 this. That's fine. There's no worries. Um, it sounds like you built a really good community around yourself. I've definitely tried, uh, which is also a challenge because as you probably know, Catherine, I, I work in a very rural community. Like... The high school I work at is 300 kids. Oh yeah, that's a. I graduated 242. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So so definitely, there's not a lot of us in the area as far as mental health professionals go. So I basically tried to connect with every single one of them as best as I can, mm-hmm. uh, and that's definitely been a help and a support for and me. And I will just say, to- connecting with clinicians who are in your exact community is so beneficial because there are so many community dynamics that I uh, can you know that people who are in the community with me understand and can you know, we can relate to and give our, give ourselves a heads up on. It's really helpful to have like boots on the ground community. Exactly. I definitely agree. So, so Justin, considering that this is such a relatable situation, I would love to hear your thoughts on if any clinician was in a maybe new work situation um, and they felt just in over their heads, their training didn't prepare them for this, whether they were aware of that or not before they took the job, I don't know. But what would you say they're already in it? They're feeling over their in over their heads. What would you say to do? What, what advice would you give them? So obviously, definitely CPR. <laughs> recurring theme of this podcast yes we might have to call it cpr there you go 
So, so definitely, definitely CPR. But the main thing is just accept that it's going to take time. Mm-hmm. It's okay. And to, I have this model that I developed for myself. I call it savor the slow. It's the idea of being able to accept, embrace, and in a certain level, just relish in, okay, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm aware needs. I need to work on, I need to change. And I'm going to make a plan towards that. And because I'm working towards that, everything is going to be okay. I'm okay. And just to let that process take its time. Because I don't also want to just rush it to tick all the boxes off. And then I start practicing counseling as like an empty professional or just like, mm-hmm. Oh, I'm just doing this to take the boxes so I'm certified. And yeah, I feel emotionally fulfilled because I'm certified. But it's like, no, it's like there's a process, there's an engagement, there's a another human being in front of you who deserves and has that worth of I can take my time to make sure I'm doing actually what the best I can do in the moment I'm at. And I think it's just to remember that and to not be afraid to lean into that. Absolutely. That's amazing. So well said too. Like that. I really like that. You've said you've created for yourself the savor of the flow. That's going to stick with me too. Like so many things are sticking with us from this story. Um, Well, Justin, again, very niche yet also very relatable. This story was fantastic. But if our listeners want to connect with you outside of the podcast, where can they find you? So they can definitely find me on my Instagram account, which is at beating heart counseling. And also I have a connection there. I also have a, write a blog as well. I tend to be more of a creative writer than a than a speaker, even though obviously as a priest I was trained in public speaking. But uh, so I have just sort of a blog where it's just basically my own reflections on my own transition from being a priest to working as a counselor now, some basic what I'm learning, what I'm realizing, just basic stuff. So we'll definitely link all of that in the show notes and I'll be checking it out. Catherine, yeah. I feel like I see your face too. We're I definitely want to read that. <laughs> there you go. Justin, thank you so much again for sharing your story. And please come back with more bad therapist moments as they come up. Oh, most that will most likely happen. Yeah. But thank you so much for having me again on the show. It's been a pleasure. And once I have another good story, I'll make sure I'm, I get in touch with you guys again for sure. We look forward to it. Thank you, Justin. Thank you so much. And that's it. The OG bad therapists, Allie and Catherine, are signing off for this week make sure to subscribe and leave us a review. We love the Bad Therapist community so much and want to continue normalizing real therapist experience. You can help us by leaving a five-star review or sharing this episode with a friend or colleague. Are you a bad therapist and want to be on the show? Go to abadtherapist.com and tell us your story. Our podcast is produced and edited by my amazing husband, Austin Joy. He also created the music for our intro and outro. You can find this song, along with many others, on any music platform under the artist Air for Effect. And if you're a bad therapist starting your own podcast, contact Austin for his full suite of podcast and sound production services. You can find him on Instagram at Air for Effect. And if you've experienced an actual bad therapist, contact your state health department or head over to StopBadTherapy.com for more information. And if you've liked this episode, we've got plenty more. Yeah, over 50 therapist stories ready for you to binge if you can't wait for our newest episode next Monday. 